This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Today's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher... The son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to its place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were in Jerusalem. Oh, I already did that one. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So we're in a series that is looking at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And this week we're transitioning from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes. And uh, in Proverbs we explored how wisdom can give us the acquired learning to help us know what to do in any given situation. Now, wisdom doesn't give us pat answers 
to every situation, but it does give us the tools to make those decisions. In Proverbs, we learned general principles for life. And that's just what they are. They're not promises. And they are not guaranteed formulas for success. If we read them as promises, then everybody who heeds that advice should have long, healthy, prosperous, and fulfilling lives. But that's obviously not the case. And that's where Ecclesiastes comes in. Its author looks at the reality on the ground and says in Ecclesiastes 9.11, I saw that under the sun the race is not to be to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Ecclesiastes is a brutal barrage of reality. And it's not easy to read. Not a lot of sermons are preached from Ecclesiastes, especially in churches that always want to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. A lot of negative in this book. Not many people linger over this book in their quiet times. And you'll probably never see a plaque or a coffee cup with Ecclesiastes 2.17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun is grievous to me. (laughs) In the book, on the face of it, it appears to be the work of a pessimistic, jaded old man who's sick of life. But we're going to see that there's a lot more to it than that. So what is this book all about? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes is taking on the role of a secular man who sees the world from a natural perspective, from the perspective that leaves God out of the picture. It's the perspective of someone living under the sun. And that phrase, under the sun, is seen 34 times in this book. The writer sets out to find out the value of such things as wisdom or pleasure or work or money and even life itself. And as he attempts to understand each of these things, he concludes that everything under the sun is utterly meaningless, a chasing after wind. But there is a method to his madness. He's playing the devil's advocate. His seeming pessimism is a tool to get his listeners to think. And he gives that strategy away at the end of the book. But I'll let you in on the secret now. Ecclesiastes 12, 10 and 11. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Do you know what a goad is? It's like a pointy stick that you get, you poke cattle with to get them to go in the right direction. And nails are something that makes things stay put, firm, solid. So this author, with his words, 
is going to corral us into the safe and solid sheepfold of the good shepherd. So who is this sneaky guy? Chapter uh, 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He, He doesn't name himself, but he calls himself the preacher. Other translations say teacher. Our English title for the book comes from the Greek. And still people call preachers ecclesiastics today. You ever heard that term? But that's not precisely the meaning of the word. It comes from the Hebrew word koheleth, which means someone who assembles people to lecture them. And one commentator proposed this, that in our present day context, it might be better rendered as professor. And another one said, in light of the content of the book, it should be a professor of philosophy. Since I've been told that I'm more of a professor than a preacher, um, this book should be right up my alley. Anyway, this professor identifies himself as the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. So even though he never tells us his name, it's been assumed both in Judaism and by most Christians throughout the ages that this is King Solomon. He says he ruled over Israel, over all of Israel from Jerusalem, which no other descendant of David ever did after Solomon. He claims to be wiser than all the kings that came before him and to have compiled many proverbs. He talks about all of his wives and his massive building projects, all things that were true of Solomon. There are some conservative scholars who have given reasons for why they don't think that this was written by Solomon, Um, But that's above my pay grade. Whether it is him or someone taking on his persona as a literary device, the work, the book itself, is certainly the Word of God. So we'll just take our cue from the author himself and call him the professor as we go through this. And the professor begins his lesson in chapter 1 with first a desperate question to which he gives us a sad answer. So let's look at the desperate question first. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Other translations say meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The literal meaning of the Hebrew word is vapor, smoke. And metaphorically, it means futility. Life is like a vapor. You can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. You can't get your head around it. It's frustrating. And that is that existential woundedness that we spoke of last week, that sense of a looming uncertainty. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they chose the word mateyotes. I like that. Sounds like an Indian word, but (laughs) mateyotes. But anyway, um, 
I want, I want us to go to Romans and see how Paul uses that same word. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility, matayotes, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This creation under the sun is subject to futility. It is in the bondage of corruption. It is the result of the fall. And that is what the preacher, the professor, is talking about when he talks about under the sun. And the professor then is taking on the role of a fallen man in the fallen world. Mankind has always been haunted by the big questions. Where do we come from? Where are we going? And who are we? And that's actually the title of a painting by the famous French painter Paul Gauguin. It's his most famous painting. And he abandoned his family and his career in France, and he went to Tahiti to live there simply with the noble savages in hopes of discovering the true meaning of life through his art. And this painting represents life's journey. It's a story to be read from right to left. You see the infant child on the right and the decrepit old woman on the left just about to die. And there's various activities of life between them with this unknown God, the little blue God in the back, overlooking all of it. And at the end, we see this unidentifiable bird next to the old woman. So what does this mean? Well, Gauguin himself explained this. He said, At her feet, the old woman, a strange white bird holding a lizard in its claws represents the futility of words. So I have finished a philosophical work on a theme comparable to that of the gospel. Wow. Gauguin's gospel did not answer his questions. The futility of words. Um, He had no words to explain it, and his gospel was not good news. You know that after he painted this, he went up in the mountains and attempted suicide. (laughs) The Moody Blues, they despaired over the lack of answers in their song called Question. You might remember it from the late 60s. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door with a thousand million questions about hate and death and war? And then he he says, I'm looking for someone to change my life. I'm looking for a miracle in my life. We're all looking for meaning. We're all looking for answers. Go back to verse 3 for a closer look at that question that the professor has. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
That word gain means profit in a business sense. He wants to know what the return is on the investment that he's making with his life. What's the point of all this struggle, all this toil? And from his perspective, nature proves that everything is vanity. So he he catalogs this. He starts in verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You know, we're just here for a short time. Our life is a vapor. People come and go, but the earth stays here. You know, I think of all the people who've lived in this valley before us. You know, they knew these mountains that surround us. And they had the same river running through it. But they're gone and they're forgotten. It's an endless cycle. The sheer mundanity of life is sometimes unbearable. Look at the next verse. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to its place where it rises. The sun is chasing its own tail and never catches it. It comes up, it goes down every day, just like we do in our daily routines. And the wind is the same thing. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. It blows and blows and never really goes anywhere or changes anything. Just like all the frantic activity that we have in life. And the water cycle is also futile. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Constant activity with no results. It's like a ledger sheet that never balances. There's no profit in it. There's nothing gained in the end. We can observe the natural world and we can discover all its workings, but that doesn't tell us why it's here. What does it mean? And all this is just too much for the professor. It's the same old, same old that never satisfies his soul. So verse 8, he says, All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We have this gnawing sense of hunger that is never filled. We're addicted to constant stimulation, but it's never enough. The more we indulge, the less satisfied we are. So I came across this clip of the comedian Louis C.K. I don't know if you know who who this guy is. He was on Conan O'Brien a few years ago talking about why we are so addicted to our cell phones. And he's trying to be funny, but the truth comes out. And it really is tragic. So check, check this out. The thing is, I, you need to build an ability to just be yourself and not be doing something. That's what the phones yes. are taking away. Yes. Is the ability to just sit there like this. That's being a person, right? Yes. No one can, they gotta, uh, you gotta check. Because, there, you know, underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's, yes. Yes. 
Yes, I. Yes. Yes, just I know that, what you're that knowledge about. that it's all for nothing and you're alone. You know, it's down there. <laughs> and sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching it. You're in your car and you start going, "Oh no, here it comes <laughs> that I am alone." Like it starts to visit on you. You know, just the sadness. Yes. Life is tremendously sad just by you know being in it. And so you're driving, and then you go, uh, that's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of people driving are texting. Yes. And they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars. Yes. But people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. Wow. He goes on to say, and he's talking about a real experience he had. He, he, he realized that he just needed to stop. And he pulled his car over and he cried because of the emptiness that he was feeling. I hope that he will discover the truth one day. And if we think <clears throat> that we're going to get out of this rut somehow, Ecclesiastes says we better think again. Verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's been done already in ages before us. Every human attempt to bring some kind of order and stability to life has failed. The players might change, but the game is always the same. Civilizations have come and gone. All great empires, based on human philosophies and their false gods, have risen and fallen. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, and the Romans all thought that their worlds would never change. But they're gone. Hitler boasted that the Nazi Third Reich was going to last a thousand years. It collapsed after 12. And America's governing document at 231 years and counting is the world's longest surviving constitution in all of history. But America will someday fall, just like all the others, unless the Lord comes back before that. And there's lots of religions and philosophies and ideologies that have promised to perfect humanity. Many have been tried and all have failed. Eastern religion says we can transcend this world and achieve peace of mind. Yet India, where this has been practiced for 5,000 years, is one of the poorest and most miserable places on the planet. Communist philosophy says that if we can just make everyone equal, then we'll all be happy. But in every nation where that has been attempted in earnest, it's resulted in mass murder and widespread poverty. But mankind doesn't seem to be able to learn from its mistakes. We keep forgetting. Verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So tell me, do you know anything about your great-grandparents? Some do, most don't. How about your great-great-grandparents? Their lives came and went, 
No one alive today remembers them, not even their families. My son-in-law, Bobby, told me once that he was at the dump and he spotted this box full of old photo albums. And so he picked it up and he took it home and he started going through them. It was the record of a man's whole life that nobody cared to remember. It ended up on the trash heap. So now the professor has demonstrated the futility of the physical world and the futility of human life. And he comes to that sad answer. The answer to that desperate question. What profit is there in all of our toil under the sun? Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, I, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. He diligently studied this question and searched for the answer but he came up empty. Life under the sun is a bad business. Everywhere he looked, he encountered pain, suffering, death. Unhappy indeed. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, work has been cursed. From the perspective of of a secular man, everything we do will come to nothing. Everything we have done in our lives will be just blown away by the wind. The world is deeply flawed. The suffering continues without relief and without end. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins says that humans are just, quote, throwaway survival machines whose only purpose is to survive and replicate genes. Here he is with his t-shirt that proclaims his life work of making the world a better place by getting rid of the God disease. (laughs) It says, religion, together we can find the cure. Now listen to his answer to the professor's desperate question. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it or any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. How's that for a worldview? Sounds like the professor here. (laughs) Dawkins agrees with Ecclesiastes. Life is a problem that can't be solved. Verse 15 says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Without a word from the outside of this world, it's impossible to figure out the purpose of, of all this monotonous toil and suffering. The professor looked everywhere. He gathered all the data that he could gather, but he came up short. So he gave up finding an answer 
by being rational. Verse 16 says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is a striving after wind. Wisdom didn't give him the answers. So maybe the answer is in madness or in folly. Now, madness is insanity. He deliberately tried to look at the world irrationally. And this is the attempt of the existential philosophers. They also came to the same conclusions that life is absurd, irrational, and meaningless. So they decided to take an irrational leap of faith in order to make their own meaning. And they tried to disconnect meaning from reality. But that's impossible. This world exists. And no retreat into our own head is going to make it go away. And madness never brings peace. So madness didn't work for the professor. He tried folly. And how how ironic is that? The man who is the chief expert on wisdom decides to deliberately become a fool. I, I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking, well... Maybe what I always thought was good is actually bad. And what I thought was bad is good. So he takes a headlong dive into sin. And in the next chapter, we'll see some of the details of that account of his own folly. But that attempt came up empty as well. It's still all chasing the wind. Neither wisdom Madness or folly brought him any comfort. In fact, all of his searching for answers brought him more grief. The answer he found was truly sad. And he concludes this section with this in verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You've heard the saying, The more I know, the more I know that I don't know. Now that's a great piece of insight for those who have a thirst for learning. It drives them on to greater heights. But for the searcher of meaning in life, it's tragic. The professor is worse off now than when he started. And that is where he leaves us at the end of chapter 1 thoroughly depressed. But I won't leave you there this morning. The reason that the professor did not find the answers that he was looking for was that he was looking in the wrong place. He was looking exclusively under the sun. He made his inquiries without the help of God. And it's not even that he didn't believe in God. He did. He just didn't put his faith in God. But when we do put our faith in him, the answers come. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We'll never have all the answers to all of our questions, 
But we have been rewarded with the one answer that matters most. The real problem of mankind is sin. And nothing under the sun can solve that problem. It had to come from beyond the sun. And Jesus came from heaven into this fallen world. And he experienced all of its pain and grief and futility right along with us. And he solved the sin problem by dying on the cross for sin. And by doing that, he's given us a new perspective. A perspective from beyond the sun. And Ephesians puts it this way. And I'll leave you with this. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us that new perspective, Lord, that we can see with your eyes. Lord, that you've given us the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you would help us to show those who are still trapped under the sun um, that they can be free from the vanity, the futility of life. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you've given us hope, Lord, that we can walk in confidence and we don't have to walk in that despair um, of not knowing what life is all about. So we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.